Hello, everyone, and welcome once again to the Made for Life podcast, brought to you by the fine people at Tenkata Protective Fabrics. This is a podcast about all the men and women who rely on PPE, men and women who are as varied and diverse as the challenges and dangers they face every day. Today on the podcast, we have a rather special guest. I know I say that quite frequently, but today it really is a special guest. Joining us today, we have Mr. Robert Tuttero, who is president of Fiero. Robert, why don't you tell us what Fiero stands for? Well, thank you, Stuart. Fiero stands for Fire Industry Education Resource Organization. And this is a nonprofit organization that that helps with the continuing education of firefighters everywhere, right? That's correct. Uh, Fiero was formed in 1990, and it was modeled after some organizations on the West Coast like SAFER, NAFER, and CAFER. And we've evolved through the years, and for the past 21 years, we've been doing uh, symposiums addressing topics that you typically don't find at other events. Hmm. Now, how often, well, I'll save that. Let's just hold off. I know you and I talked before the podcast that, and you've got some salient points that you want to touch on. So let me just bring up a few, and you, you can tell us what your thoughts are on these issues, okay? Okay. Now, you want to talk about the new NFPA 1585 standard, and it deals with contamination, and it's going to be released soon. Now, what do you think about this? Well, it's long overdue. NFPA struggled with the best way to address contamination because it, it crosses so many areas of the fire service. And so this new standard is currently being developed. It'll be going out for public comment later this calendar year or early in 2022. And I think the standard is going to address close to 100 other NFPA standards relating to the fire service. Wow. What's interesting about this is um, there is a chapter in it on personal protective clothing and equipment. And But I, I will say this, the, the main thing when it comes to the care of PPE will still be the standard NFPA 1851 which is the standard for selection, care, and maintenance. And when you look at the title of that standard, there's one word that's missing, and it's called use. Ah, yes. And that's because of the way the NFPA structures its standards. There's nothing in that about use. NFPA 1971 doesn't have anything about use. But I think what 1585 will do is it won't be repeating a lot of what's in 1851, but it'll be trying to fill in gaps and give some guidance. Uh, another thing about 1585 is it has a chapter on vehicles, chapter on facilities, and a chapter on operations. So the PPE is sort of the conduit between the contamination we have on the fire ground that we transport by our vehicles and take to the fire station. That's a very good point. But, yes. And we, what, what I want people to do is when, when this standard goes out for public input, which hopefully will be later this year, I, I want the fire service to read it and respond to it and put their input in. You don't have to be an NFPA member to put a public input in. You just put, submit whatever you think should be included or, suggest deleting something and just give good sound reasoning for the reason you think that way. Well, that, you raise a good point, Robert. Let me ask you, uh, do you sit on any of the uh, NFPA committees? Yes. I'm, I'm on the committee that's responsible for 1971, 1851, 
and this newest standard, uh, 1585. Now, let me just uh, interrupt you there, Robert, for just a second. For the folks listening who might not know, why don't you explain to them what the NFPA stands for and what it is they do? Okay, NFPA is the National Fire Protection Association, and they're best known for the standards that they write. Uh, And and they address standards through, uh, I think they've got over 300, but they're in the process of consolidating a lot of them. But about a third of those standards relate directly to the fire service. Well, that's that's pretty pretty interesting. So that's a good point you bring up about the contamination because a lot of times when I talk to firefighters, you have to sort of remind them that when you're on the fire ground, you need to sort of sequester your gear because if you just throw it in the truck, then the truck's contaminated. You bring it back to the bay, and then the bay is contaminated. So this new standard will address issues like that as well, I would assume, yes? Absolutely. It's exactly the uh, intent of the standard. Now, uh, one of the other topics that you that we talked about, uh, Robert, before we started the cast was, and this one is sort of near and dear to my heart because I've I've made this point for years. You you, you want to discuss the overuse of structural PPE when there are better products available uh, for non-structural responses. For instance, I've always said, you know, it'd be great if everybody could have a set of structural gear and then have some uh, uh USAR or technical rescue gear, you know, because if you're out working a car wreck and you're directing traffic in the extreme heat, you really don't need that that structural gear on. So if you had uh, the 1851 gear, I believe that's the right standard. If you had that gear, then you're a lot, it's a lot less heavy and you can still be protected. So I'm assuming Absolutely. that's what you're aiming at. Yep. Exactly. And that's something that I feel real strongly about is, is it seems like Many departments, maybe most departments, when they get a call, the default gear they put on is structural gear to go to non-structural fires. Uh, Not only are you creating heat stress for the firefighters by wearing gear that's designed for uh, thermal protection when you don't need thermal protection, but you're also taking contaminated or partially contaminated gear out and exposing whoever the customer is, possibly uh, exposing them to some contamination. I, um, I watched a, a course that the, uh, what's the, name? Oh, the Emergency Responder Safety Institute has put out just in the last week or so. And in, in that report they put out that they say firefighters respond to three roadway incidents for every fire they respond to. And yet, if you go drive up on a roadway incident or if you're a firefighter that responds to them, you know, how often do you see firefighters wearing structural gear at a roadway incident? Yeah, all, almost every time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know my personal experience, I've been on the scene of a pen in where we had. Uh, firefighter go down from heat exhaustion very hot summer day doing an extrication and so now we've got an additional victim to take care of and he did not need to be wearing structural gear but that was that was the way we did it and uh, so it's there's got to be a better way and i think we're slowly going to to see that as as time goes along i think so too do you let me ask you this while we're on the subject a lot of the feedback that I get when I mention this uh, to firefighters is they say it's really an economic question. We, you know, we just can't afford it. You know, we've got to have our other gear, our SCBAs, our gloves, our boots, 
So it's really, especially if you're working with the municipality and the budget constraints are very tight. So do you think that plays a role in it? I mean, is that something we need to address and say, hey, if they need, they really need this gear because it's going to reduce heat stress? Yes, that, that's a big issue is, is the budget issue. And it's also a logistical issue. You know, how do you manage all of these different sets of garments? Uh, let's say you're going to respond to a roadway incident and you've got some wider weight PPE that you need to wear. Uh, but you probably also need to have that structural gear with you because when you clear that roadway incident, you may get a structural call before you get back to the station. So it's, uh, where do you store all of this when you're on duty? Where do you store it in stations that are almost always overcrowded unless they've been built in the last four or five years? Uh, it, it's quite a challenge to the fire service to, to handle it financially and logistically. I agree, but I, I'll also agree with your point that uh, I do feel like it's a new trend. I think people are becoming more and more aware of it as more new fabrics and new designs are becoming available. I think ultimately they're going to have to look at that as a serious option, particularly if the cases of heat stroke keep going up, because as much as people are concerned about the cancer rates, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that the number one leading cause of uh, line-of-duty deaths is uh, cardiac events due to heat stress. Yes, it is. That's what and, I, I figured that, yeah. 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 It, it's very rare that a firefighter dies from fire scene because of thermal assault. They just literally burn up or, you know, that the fire itself kills them uh, because of the heat or direct flame contact. It's, uh, it's the other things that kill us. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, well, let's just keep going, Robert, if you don't mind. This is a pretty good discussion. This is this is a little heavier than we're used to on the podcast, but I think it's good information. I think people are going to appreciate it. Now, Well, I'm, I can get down in the weeds on this sometimes. I've been living it for decades. Well, that's, that's what I was about to say. As long as you've been in the service, I don't think there's anybody that, that doesn't know Robert Tuttero. Uh, you've got a couple of points here, and I'm going to, if you don't mind, I'm going to try and tie them together. It has to do with specifying your PPE, and the two points you want to touch on are Keep the cleaning aspect in mind and also to think about the interface areas like your pockets and your cuffs and so forth. Can you answer those two together or you want to keep them separate? I think, I think we can do it together. Okay. Um, yeah, I think coming up with fabrics that are easier to clean, coming up with hard surfaces, the other elements such as helmets and the SCBA through either materials or design. Uh, it's something that needs to be considered when you're specifying a new purchase. Um, I mentioned earlier this new standard under development, NFTA 1585. Uh, it will not tell you how to do things, but it will tell you what you should do. And one of the things that it says, or is proposed to say, it's not official yet, is to consider cleaning as you purchase and uh, go through procurement for new PPE. Um, and, and like I mentioned the fabrics that are easier to clean. There are obviously some that do better than others. And also design. You know, one of the things we've looked at is helmets. Uh, some helmets are very difficult to clean. Some of the things, uh, liners or impact, some of that stuff permanently attached. And we're now seeing the industry is reacting to that. And I think you need to when you get ready to make a purchase, you know, consider your safety first, but don't forget, okay, how easy is it going to be to clean this? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, 
cleaning is not fun. You know, nobody likes cleaning. So if we're going to do it, let's make it as easy as we can and so we can get as thorough cleaning as possible. Uh, the other part of that is the interface areas. You know, when we when we buy, let's say we buy turnout gear, and, uh, you know, there are several manufacturers out there, but there's a pretty good chance that the helmet, the gloves, the footwear is not made by the same manufacturer that made the turnout gear. And so we need to make sure that those interface areas, the, the glove to the sleeve of the clothes, the wrist area, around the ankle area, and particularly the head and neck area, that we've got the proper seals that we need to protect us not only from heat, and but from uh, carcinogens. You know, we, we now have particulate hoods. They won't stop gases, but they do stop the particulates. And we do. We need to make sure we don't leave anything uh, exposed that we can cover. And a lot of times when we try on garments, if we're getting ready to make a purchase, a lot of things we'll do, we'll, we'll put on the turnout gear. But do we go ahead and put on our gloves? Do we don the SCBA to see how the straps are going to interface with the coat pockets or the pant pockets? Do we put the helmet on? Do we turn the collar up? Do we don the hood? You know, when you evaluate buying new gear, I think you need to look at it from head to toe, not just the one particular element that you're getting ready to buy. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I misspoke earlier when I was talking about technical rescue. I believe that standard is 1951. And 1851 is care and cleaning. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Now, let me ask you this question. In general, across the fire service in your experience, is it difficult to get firefighters to adhere to 1851? Yes and no. And then sort of my observation is there are certain areas of the country that are doing everything they possibly can. And, and I'm very pleased when I see that because these are people that are paying attention. Then I see some other pockets in the country where they just seem to sort of dismiss it. But uh, I've been to a couple of trade shows. Now that trade shows are opening back up, one here in my home state of North Carolina, and then last week in South Carolina. And it's it's really interesting to see and talk to people. Some of them, their departments haven't done much, but individually they're pushing hard and they're, they're wanting to get more information so they can help push their department in the direction they think they need to be going. Well, that that's definitely good. And another thing that I saw too, a trend, I, I've noticed an uptick in the amount of departments that are forming their own uh, PPE committees. They've got guys going out to manufacturers in their touring facilities and they're looking at how these things are made. And I think you're right. I think firefighters will eventually get to this more holistic approach of how they, how they address it and how they look at the functionality of the entire ensemble as opposed to just the gear itself. So that is a good trend, I think. Yes, and I'm glad you mentioned that about PPE committees because it's a, it is so important that firefighters, I think in years gone by, they whatever the department buys, we'll wear and we won't think anything about it because it's probably compliant with NFPA and 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 it is what it is and, and we'll wear it. But now we're seeing growing interest in PPE and people wanting to sort of 
raise the hood, if you will, and, and look and see what's underneath it and and understand the, the inner workings and the process that goes into it. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's it's just what the fire service needs. I, I think so, too. Now, now Robert, we're, we're at about the 20-minute mark, and I, that's usually about the length of the show we want to run. But this has been a good one. But there's one more thing I want to cover uh, before I let you go, and that, of course, is the Fiero Symposium. And you could tell us about when the next one's coming up. Are you are you going to open back up and have it? I know it's, I believe it's biannual. Is that correct? Yes, it's a, a biennial uh, event that we started in 2007, I believe it was. And we had one scheduled this year in March, and we postponed it until October. It will be an in-person event. It will start on uh, October the 25th with a pre-con, we call it seminar, and then the symposium itself will be the 26th. I mean, 27th, 28th, and 29th. Uh, the pre-conference seminar is on a Tuesday, and then the full symposium will be a Wednesday through Friday noon, and it will be in Greenville, South Carolina, at the Hyatt Regency Hotel. Well, that's that sounds good. I was at the last one. I don't know if you remember, but I, I did make some remarks uh, when when the, the time was appropriate, and uh, I'm always very impressed. I've been a couple of times. And it's very impressive how many firefighters come out to sit through the symposium and go to the classes and, and offer their input. So I think it's very, very important to the fire service. Uh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. Now, we're sort of winding down. Is there anything else you want to say particularly about the symposium? Well, uh, despite COVID, we've already got almost 60 people registered. We wow. think that's outstanding uh, because most people don't register until about a month ahead of time. But I will comment just about our Tuesday event, the pre-conference seminar, it's going to be something we've never done before. It's sort of a hybrid hands-on training classroom thing, and we're going to be featuring three subject areas, if you will. We will be doing uh, sort of a hands-on preliminary exposure reduction, i.e. gross decon. This will be led by Jeff Stoll, who probably knows as much about firefighter PPE contamination as anyone on the planet. Uh, the second area we'll be doing is how to do a proper inspection of PPE, and this will be led by Chief Bruce Barner, who used to be with Phoenix and then with Carrollton, Texas, and most recently retired from Santa Rosa, California, and Tim, uh, Tim Thomason, who's chair of that committee, and, and Bruce will be doing that. And then the third uh, subject will be thermal imagers, and we're going to have uh, Battalion Chief Andy Starnes from the Charlotte Fire Department uh, using the Max Firebox so that we learn how to use thermal imagers to read the heat that we're um, we're encountering on the fire scene. And then the symposium itself is uh, just tremendous amount of who's who in the fire service. You know, we don't let vendors speak, if you will. We leave it up to fire service people and the research people. And if you can go to our website, it's fierroonline.org, and you can click under events and get all the information about the symposium. Now, uh, Robert, if, if a, a person was interested in helping to support Fiero, how would they go about that? That's all available on the website. When you get to the website on the left-hand side, you'll see tabs. Um, and we, we love to have sponsors and exhibitors. 
I will say that the last two events we've had for this PPM symposium, we sold out. Uh, but this year we're in a much larger venue. We hope we come close to selling out, but we don't want to sell out. We hate to turn people away. Well, I would I would love to tell you that I'm going to be there because I've been there in the past, but we've got a lot going on in October, so I'm going to, I'm going to do my level best, and we're sort of at the point where we're casting lots to see who gets to go where. So hopefully I'll be able to be there because I certainly look forward to it. Uh, yeah, it seems like every organization trying to have an event the second half of this year. Yeah, everybody sort of held off, and then when things started to improve, they all decided they were going to go ahead and go for it. So, yeah, they're all they're all coming at once. There's no doubt about that. Robert, it was a pleasure having you on the show today, and uh, I trust you're keeping well and doing fine, and all your folks are okay, right? Absolutely. We are. Thank, thank you for, for having me come on this uh, podcast. Um I'm honored to be asked, and I hope maybe I've shared some information that may be of use. Well, it certainly was, Robert. It was a very interesting show. And to remind everybody again, that's fieroonline.org. And if you want to learn more about it, you can go there and find out everything you need to know. They're a fine organization. And thanks once again, Robert, for being on the show. And everybody else, we'll look forward to seeing you next time on Made for Life. Thank you.